the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is. And welcome back as we head into Hour 3. I'm about to do my monologue. We shifted around sometimes. I'll give it to you in a moment. If you are on hold, please uh, stay on hold. We will get back to you uh, just uh, in a few moments. And the number, if you want to get in on the show, is 602-508-0960. What I want to share with you is this, this series of thoughts. The thing about surprises is they really shouldn't be surprises. For example, you base a massive Supreme Court decision on no precedent or any literal constitutional history. Maybe you shouldn't be surprised it doesn't last as long as some wanted. Maybe you shouldn't be surprised that it's very divisive. And maybe given all the histrionics of the left, always promoting that everything is on the brink of total disaster, destruction, death and grief and sorrow and murder, maybe given those histrionics, We shouldn't be surprised or I shouldn't be surprised to hear seemingly smart or at least credentialed members of the media writing that after the Dobbs case, we could see a repeal of Brown versus Board of Education or read in the New York Times today. We are witnessing the, quote, destruction of civil rights or hear from commentators that giving 50 state legislatures and their citizens a right to vote is fascism or hear from the president of the United States as we all did this morning, that the MAGA crowd, quote, is the most extreme political movement in American history, close quote. Lions and tigers and bears, oh my. That worry by the tin and straw man and lion, by the way, and Dorothy turned out overwrought and paranoid as well. But here we've been for some time now. To the left, everything is always awful. It's Barry Maguire ethics. We're always on the eve of destruction. Millions were to die from the population bomb in the 70s, millions more in the nuclear winter in the 80s, global warming in the ecosystem destruction in the 90s up until now. It's the end of the world as we know it. That was the vogue and has been the vogue of fright and crisis for some time. Goldwater and Reagan and Trump, they weren't conservatives. They were Nazis. They were Hitlers. They were fascists. Donald Trump, as Joe Biden put it in the campaign, is an, quote, existential threat to the Constitution, close quote. MAGA stands for Make America Great Again. And American greatness cannot settle with the left, with the vogue of fright and crisis they perpetrate. How do you fundamentally transform or radically alter something that is, after all, good, much less great, or could be good or great, Again, and today the movement named for making America great is the most extreme political movement in American history, according to Joe Biden. Be concerned. This, the week after the Department of Homeland Security announces a board to investigate disinformation. Why do I put those two things together? Well, we have a president who thinks the Republican Party or the vast majority of the Republican Party is the most extreme political organization in our history. 
That would mean it's more extreme than the American Socialist Movement, the American Nazi Party, and, of course, the KKK. And this country at various times passed laws against the very existence of those organizations, particularly the KKK. So if a movement is worse than a movement we've passed laws against, what comes for the one that is worse? What comes for you? Consider, too, the insanity of labeling the party that created the KKK Act that went after the KKK. Consider the insanity of labeling that party provisions of those original laws still widely used in almost every civil rights case today, consider the insanity of labeling that party the extreme party. Now consider that the etymology of insane means unhealthy mind. Maybe now you know why conservatives and legitimate news stories that can hurt Democrats' chances in election must be banned, equally canceled and censored. Long-time listeners here will know I've long been concerned about the use of the word extreme to describe Republicans over the past decade or so. I first noted the reinvigorated use of that word in the early days of the Obama administration. It was used to replace the phrase radical Islam or radical Islamist. It was deployed, in other words, to cleanse the notion that a movement could have a radical element, particularly political Islam. It was deployed to cleanse that notion. So Obama and company used the phrase radical extremists to talk about terrorism and its perpetrators. And then, and then come re-election time for Obama, and then four years later, election time for Hillary Clinton in 2016, and I noted their use of the word, the same word they used to describe terrorists. The Republican Party is made up of extremists. The Republican Party is extreme. They used the very word they used for terrorists against Republicans. Think of that agitprop. First, get people to associate the word extreme with deadly enemies. Then, having had that thought settled in, use it to train the brain to think of your political opponents, your domestic political opponents, that same way. And so here we are. What we need to stop and ask in the MAGA universe of opinion is so extreme, by the way. Protecting our borders? Joe Bi- That's the thing we talk about most. Joe Biden has given speech after speech this year on the sanctity of borders and sovereignty for Ukraine, aligning our foreign policy with regimes that fight terrorism rather than sponsor it, reducing to historical records minority unemployment, taking on the question of our long-term interest in aligning with communist regimes that host and sponsor slavery, protecting the life of the unborn. That's the one, isn't it? And when it comes to just that, we threaten the Constitution and the entire effort of civil rights, we are told. It's a non sequitur, by definition. If one can find me the fundamental right to an abortion in the Constitution, then yes, certainly cabining that right could be threatening to the Constitution. But since it isn't, it can't be. Ah, some may say, it was a fundamental right created by the Supreme Court and thus must be held sacrosanct. Okay, then. Is every opinion of the Supreme Court, especially opinions that find no countenance or reference in the Constitution, think segregation in Plessy versus Ferguson or depriving black Americans the protections of the laws in Dred Scott or the death penalty cases 
or the Lochner line of cases? Is every opinion the Supreme Court issues untouchable and burned in amber forever? We know and appreciate immediately the fact that that is not true. Which raises the next question, which is if the Supreme Court is so supereminent in what it creates, how is it possible you can celebrate the greatest breach of the Supreme Court's viability, modus operandi, and practice with the unauthorized release of a draft opinion so as to subject it to political or, heaven forbid, kinetic and physical assault? How is it you can be part and parcel of a party whose leader in the Senate can stand outside that same sacrosanct building of opinions that should never be revisited because of the sacrosanctity of those who created those opinions and scream to a mob, quote, I want to tell you, Gorsuch, I want to tell you, Kavanaugh, you have released the whirlwind and you will pay the price. You won't know what hit you. Close quote, speaketh Chuck Schumer. How is that? Because it doesn't matter. The party, capital P, is always right. Nothing exists except an endless present in which the party is always right. That's how George Orwell put it. But how in a world where words do mean things and language does matter here and there, how in that world do you get from the protection of vulnerable life to, as the New York Times puts it, quote, the destruction of civil rights and the potential to overturn Brown versus Board of Education? If civil rights became a serious movement in America, it became so in and after the Civil War. The Civil War settled, or should have settled, the question as to whether humans have the right to expel other humans from the family of man, from the family deserving human rights, from the family of humanity. Abroad, the end of World War II and the defeat of Nazi Germany settled, or should have settled, that same precise point. Expanding on what Martin Luther King and Frederick Douglass redounded to again and again, namely the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution's guarantees of liberty and equality, cannot in any world that understands language be seen as a threat to civil rights. Not unless your dictionary is, as Abraham Lincoln put it, the Wolf's Dictionary, which defines liberty not as the sheep's right to live, but the wolf's right to devour the sheep, especially, as Lincoln put it, if the sheep is a black one. One just now immediately wants to quote Barry Goldwater, who was called a Nazi, for saying, quote, extremism in the defense of liberty is no vice. Think on that. Defending liberty is Nazism just like taking a vote away from seven life-appointed unaccountable men and giving it to 7,000 voter-subjected and accountable state legislators is evidently fascism. And a reduction in the process that leads to inordinately high and disproportionate black baby deaths is considered a harbinger of segregation and a nascent effort to overturn Brown versus Board of Education? That's what they're peddling to you. Maybe it would help to go to the thinking of the man who wrote those famous words of Goldwater's. It just so happens he was also the greatest scholar of Abraham Lincoln and our founding in this lifetime, Harry V. Jaffa. Asked about that line he wrote for Goldwater, he pointed out that extremism in defense of liberty is not extremism in defense of extremism. 
It is an interesting note, I will add, to modern history that while many say Harry Jaffa got his line from Cicero, he in fact did not. You can't find that line in Cicero. Jaffa said he got it from one of the most important writings of the decade, issued only the year before in 1963, Martin Luther King Jr.'s letter from a Birmingham jail. Do they still teach that, by the way? Or is King so out because of his love of our founding and colorblind views that he is not taught anymore? Either way, we shall teach because he taught, and it is Teacher Appreciation Week after all. It was in that 1963 letter that Martin Luther King Jr. wrote this, quote, Initially, I was distressed for being called and labeled an extremist, which, of course, he was. He continued, quote, But then I started to take satisfaction in being called an extremist. Was not Jesus an extremist in love? Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, pray for them that despitefully use you. Was not Amos an extremist for justice? Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. Was not Paul an extremist for the gospel of Jesus Christ? I bear in my body the marks of the Lord. Was not Martin Luther an extremist? Here I stand, I can know I can do no other, so help me God. Was not John Bunyan an extremist? I will stay in jail to the end of my days before I make a mockery of my conscience. Was not Abraham Lincoln an extremist? This nation cannot survive half slave and half free. Was not Thomas Jefferson an extremist? We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. So the question is not whether we will be extremists, but what kind of extremists will we be? Will we be extremists for hate or will we be extremists for love? Will we be extremists for the preservation of injustice or will we be extremists for the cause of justice? Here's my plea, folks. When you look at the entire debate around Roe versus Wade, please go back to the common dictionary and it rapidly becomes self-evident which side is extremist for hate and which side is extremist for love, which for injustice and which for justice. Here, I'd like to think words still matter and words still mean things, and so does history. And just those things, as much as anything else, are what the left is about distorting, distorting in order to destroy. And that is why they do not want us to speak, debate, or vote. Things once considered fundamental rights, too. I'm Seth Leapson. We'll be right back. I love those lyrics. Orchestrated paradise couldn't make you stay. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. Charles is in Phoenix. Thanks. Oh, you know what, Lisa? I see you're still on the on there on hold too. I'll come back to you in a moment, Lisa. Charles, welcome. Oh, hi. Yeah, you you mentioned God judging nations. That was a question that uh, a listener named Sue brought up earlier. Yeah. Uh huh. Well, the thought that came to my mind was uh, Psalms nine seventeen says, uh, the wicked will be turned into hell, and all the nations that forget God. Yeah. Yeah. I get it. I do. I appreciate it, Charles. I mean, listen, I think um, you tell me where the theology or the politics I have on this are are uh, in need of, of, of help, but what do you do with that in a Republican form of government? I guess, uh, well, 
uh, all you can do is just individually be as best that, as That's my be. point. Yeah, that's where I come down to with a responsibility, with a responsibility to prevent your fellow citizen from engaging in that which is whatever you want to call it, a sin, disfavorable, wrong, however you want to cast it. However or at least you want to talk about it. Yeah, yeah well, you have that obligation. You do have, I believe, you have an individual obligation, which over the course of 331 million of those obligations gives you a nation. Yeah, a lot of, uh, uh, some things we don't even talk about. They're, they're off limits. You're considered a Nazi if you mention it. I, I wouldn't... Well, I would invite you to check out Deuteronomy 23, 17, and 18, where God Almighty himself uses the word dog. And have you ever noticed how dogs greet each other and other people? Well, I know how mine does. Yeah. Well, God called them dogs. So that's the Almighty All right. himself. All right. Is- I, I, I take the point. Thank you. Lisa, Um, you were patient. You, yeah. you, you wanted a way in? So... I was talking about Christianity, and, you know, there are many beliefs, but if you believe in Christianity, it's the only religion that I know of where God comes down to man mm-hmm. in the form of Jesus, mm-hmm. and he invites us to take his forgiveness for all of our sins. So all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If you're not a Christian, of course, you don't believe that. So what do you do with the non-Christians? Well, here's the thing. What what power is greater than love? There isn't any power greater than the love of anybody towards somebody else. I even love my dog, so the power of love is just amazing, and my dog loves me. But the love of people for each other, I mean, how could you kill a baby. I mean, there's no love there. Well, uh, of course. No, of course. And that's why in my monologue yesterday, I was going through how a lot of black civil rights activists in the 70s, when they were wrestling and struggling with the Roe versus Wade decision, were pointing out, and I was quoting Jesse Jackson in those days, were pointing out the use of psycholinguistics. You change the name of it. You call it a fetus just as you change the name of a black person and call them something that begins with an N so that you can do to them what you cannot do to a human being. Just as in the Nazi regime, they made Jews look like and made people think Jews were like rats, dysgenic. There is a reason there is a dysgenic movement in America that helped propel the abortion lobby in America. The only reason I think this question is so complicated Uh, as a theological one in this country, is we are a country in a First Amendment and a Republican form of government. I think George Washington got it right. Honestly, I do. I think George Washington got it right, where he said that all of us, whatever our religion, all of us, whatever our religion, simply owe our best efforts to felicity towards the country and to the law of the land and where everyone will sit in safety under his own vine and fig tree and there shall be none to make him afraid. I think that's how you handle this question. I really do. 
We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, 602-508-0960. There's Yair. Welcome back, Yair. How are you, sir? I'm doing well, Seth. How are you, my friend? I'm doing fine. What's up? I, I felt compelled to call uh, uh which while I commend her for her uh, viewing the world through rose-colored glasses, uh, it speaks to something which you have often uh, commented on your show, which is failure of the imagination of conservatives, our failure to uh, our... Uh, functional inability to relate and understand to how to the left's motivations and motives because they're so inconsistent with our views of the world. So the previous caller, and bless her heart for having such a position, and I mean that honestly. I do too. I uh, agree with said, you. Nothing is more powerful than love. And whilst I wish that were true, uh, realists understand and pragmatists understand that that's uh, a, a sort of a position where it may handicap oneself. Full Metal Jackets... Uh, thermonuclear weapons uh, are more powerful than love. Yeah. Might makes right in this world. And too often, conservatives uh, sort of doe-eyed like, uh, like some blinded troglodytes, you know, stumble out of the cave to see a world full of despotism and dominance and predation and hierarchical structures uh, and, and, are, and are just befuddled and bewildered uh, at this world that can be so cruel. Uh, only because of this consistent and I might say sort of self-addled blindness, uh, do we find ourselves in, in a position where we can't fight them? And you've said many times on your show that it's that failure of imagination to understand that they don't like us, that the left doesn't believe in the same values that we do in this country, that they don't want the family unit and goodness and, 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 and genuineness and love of country and love of God to win. They just don't like us. And any uh, position that deludes oneself away from that cold, harsh, stark reality is just a dangerous one to have. You said a lot there, uh, Yair, and I want to I want to I want to um, thank you for it as I want to thank her for that point. And I want to know if we can come together on all of this by thinking about something supposedly the wisest man in the world at the time said, which is there is a time to love and a time to hate, and there is a time for war and a time for peace. Can we come together on that notion? Love is important, but sometimes not always. And peace is important, but not the peace of the fools. That, that's, that's, a, that's the wise that's what the wise man understands. You know, the late great Rabbi Meir Kahana, who I know you know well, uh, understood and had said many times to some of his distractors who, who uh, bemoaned at the fact that he would use the word hate and said something just like the previous call, that love is the ultimate weapon to triumph over hate. And he said so eloquently that if you love freedom, you must hate slavery. If you love your mother... Uh, or the state of Israel, or your own country, or whatever the case may be, in his case, that he said the state of Israel. You must not form a committee to determine the root causes of anti-Semitism. <laughs> you must hate those who seek to destroy her. Yeah. If Seth leaves and loves his mother, he doesn't form a committee. To de- he hates those who seek to destroy her. I love 
freedom. I love the Constitution. I love my family. I love this country. I love the liberties that it provides me. And as such, I hate and seek to destroy all those things that stand in the way of liberty and individual freedom. And so uh, you're absolutely right. There is a time for love and peace. And boy, what a powerful weapon it can be. Uh, but we are in a war. Uh, and, and, and like I said, full metal jacket, 556, five, thermonuclear weapons, uh, you know, uh, despotism, dominance, these are all forces that are much more powerful than love. Yes. And I think in the real world which we exist in, I think we have to come to the notion that, of course, we want to beat, we want to live in a world where we can beat our swords into plowshares, but while people have their swords at our throats, we want something more than a plowshare. Fair enough? That's absolutely right. That's absolutely right. You know, I'll make one more comment if I may. You Can you let me take the quick break and come back on the other side absolutely. with it? Absolutely. Thank you, Yair. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. If you're looking for a great, unique investment opportunity with a fantastic return for investors, check out my friends at Y Refi. They've become my friends because I've spent so much time with them in getting to understand their business, their business model. And as I say, it is really great. I'm talking about a fixed, no-load interest rate up to 10.25% for investors all in a secure and collateralized portfolio. Why Refi helps people who are doing their best to dig out of debt the right way, doing the right thing to pay off their debts, even getting their FICO scores fixed along the way to get their life back on track. Why Refi is a due diligence approved firm run by, as I say, really great people who are doing very well by helping others. And you can too. I'd only endorse a product like this after a thorough and complete review, and by getting to know the quality and ability of the people involved, they are fantastic. Check them out by going to investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then R-E-F-Y.com. Or give them a call at 855-316-3087. Local company, you can go visit them. You won't get a sales pitch. They're just happy to talk about what they're doing and their business model. Why Refi is in the business of helping people that others won't, and you can be too. Again, investyrefi.com or 855-316-3087. Yeah, you're in Phoenix. Thanks. Help a brother out. Yeah, I, I, I'm so grateful for you uh, having me hold over, and I, I, I don't want to sound like the resident uh, cynic uh, or, or pessimist, which I feel like I often do, but it, it pains me so to see conservatives uh, hamstrung and, and expending so much uh, political capital just spinning our tires uh, because we believe in false presuppositions. And what presuppositions are we constantly believing in? Uh, that the government has our best interests at heart, uh, that all people, irrespective of what side of the aisle they fall on, believe in this country and the foundational principles and want us to prosper. Uh, these are false notions, and the more time we spend asking, uh, you know, we saw it during COVID, we saw it during the disastrous withdrawal from Afghanistan, we scratch our heads and say, why? Why would the government lie to us about X, Y, or Z? Why would our DOD be so uh, mishandled the uh, Afghanistan debacle with such uh, obscene uh, incompetence? Why would, why would our administration care about Ukraine's borders but not Arizonans and Texans? 
Exactly. And we scratch our head and we wonder, and it's because it's pre- we presuppose these false beliefs. Uh, because uh, perhaps it just hurts more to uh, agree and admit to oneself that your government may not have your best interests at heart, or that maybe you aren't meant to win. You know, you had uh, Brandon Weikert, uh, who, who's always so eloquent and smart on your show just a couple of days ago, and uh, the one comment I would make is he was talking about how oftentimes in foreign policy we just bumble into these conflicts uh, with such ineptitude and incompetence. But the one area that I think he failed to mention was the fact that sometimes we're just not meant to win. You know, when the DOD, when the uh, Secretary of Defense used to be on the board of Raytheon, maybe a well-fought, quick war <laughs> with, that leads to victory isn't actually the uh, the, right. uh, the intention right. of the DOD's aims. And so, only when maybe Eisenhower had a point. Yeah, right. Exactly. Right. That's it. You. That's it. You summed it up well. Exactly. So we've got to stop lying to ourselves and just and just and just swallow the bitter pills that we don't all have the same uh, intention. We don't all have the same definition. This the dictionary. This this has been my point for a few days. Uh, Lincoln said it. I think better than anyone in 1858. He said the world doesn't have a good definition of the word liberty and just now is in great need of one. Half the country thinks that wow. a wolf meets a sheep. And it is the liberty interest of the wolf to devour that sheep. The other half of this country thinks um, it is the liberty interest of the sheep to live, especially if that sheep is a black one. When we talk, this is our problem. It's a problem of political philosophy, and it's a problem of relativism, and it's a problem that Marxism has thrust upon us as far as I'm concerned yet year. When people say, oh, well, if we would all just do good. If we would all just do the right thing. We are not settled on what good and right mean anymore. To the Marxist and to the left, I repeat myself, good and right is entirely different than to Abraham Lincoln, you and me. They use the wolf's dictionary. We use the sheep's. Even amongst similar parties, even amongst a party. Absolutely. You have a Republican Absolutely. party. I mean, it's the RNC that gave us McCain. It's the RNC that gave us Romney. And here we are a few years later. Keep in mind, these were our presidential candidates. And here we are a few years later bemoaning the fact that how we could have rhinos. And this is within with Democrats, with Republicans like these. Who need Democrats? Mm-hmm. And so you're absolutely right. It's the it's the failure of the relativism of the political it's exactly right it's a it's a it's that we split in terms of our political philosophy uh, but all of it uh, at least we can agree or we ought to be able to agree i should say uh that we don't all believe in the same political philosophy no and we so, do not we do not jefferson in his first inaugural said every difference of opinion is not necessarily a difference of principle we're all republicans we're all democrats or we're all federalists we're all democrats the two parties at the time and what has happened here what has happened here is that where we once were two parties with differing opinions we are not anymore we are not the parties are now divided on lines of principle we are divided on lines of principle i would say we were divided on lines of opinion up until i don't know roughly 1980 or so I mean, you had a Democratic Party up until 1980, which understood, by and large, the interests of the United States the same way the Republican Party did, except for how to get there. That's not true anymore. I'll give you a quick example, a quick, for instance, if this makes sense, Yair. We've had these revolutionary movements in America our whole life, in this, our, our whole existence, uh, the country's whole existence. 
in the late 60s when the Black Panthers were, you know, on the march and on the rise, a lot of, you know, lefty liberal types were throwing fundraisers for them. Think Leonard Bernstein. The Democrats wanted nothing to do with that. Not Ted Kennedy, not Hubert Humphrey, not Scoop Jackson, not Sergeant Shriver, not George McGovern. They wanted nothing to do with those people. Nothing. Today, the Democratic Party raises funds for their successor movements. That's the difference. Yair, thank you. I'm Seth. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Thanks for spending some of your day with us. I, um, I hope we can understand and appreciate that when a civic institution, our judiciary in this case, makes a power grab of raw power, how it divides and pits Americans against each other the way it has. And in some respects, a friend of mine once said, since Roe, politics has become impossible in this country. I understand the notion. I get it. When you have now new views of human life that were in no existence in the history of Western civilization prior to hitherto that time, of course, it's going to make politics very, very, very different. And it has made politics very, very different here. I referred to George Washington earlier in my sense when we get to the theological discussions that underpin our politics here in getting it, I think, right. He, uh, he is how I will close the show with. He said, the citizens of the United States of America have a right to applaud themselves for having given to mankind examples of an enlarged and liberal set of policies, policies worthy of imitation. All possess alike liberty of conscience and immunities of citizenship. It is now no more that toleration is spoken of as it was by the indulgence of one class of people that another enjoyed the exercise of their inherent natural rights. For happily, the government of the United States, which gives to bigotry no sanction and to persecution no assistance, requires only that they who live under its protection should demean themselves as good citizens in giving it on all occasions their effectual support. In his day, we knew what good meant. Thanks to the relativism in the neo-Marxist dictionary, we are now set to have to have to fight over what the word good means, just as we have to fight over what the word freedom means, just as we have to fight over what the word life and civility means. God bless you all. I'm Seth Leibson. Until tomorrow, class dismissed. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.